0: Hi, this is Chad. Thank you so much for being on this journey with us towards product mastery. This is the journey of us learning how to develop better products that our customers love. Today, we're talking about mental health for product managers and leaders, specifically product managers moving into leadership roles, those that are already in leadership roles. We'll call this emotionally fit leadership, and we'll hear more about that in a moment. Joining us is Dr. Emily Ann She's a psychologist, emotional fitness consultant, and the co-founder and chief clinical officer of COA which is your gym for mental health. For the past 14 years, Dr. Anhalt has been working clinically with executives, founders, and tech employees. and has conducted extensive research with prominent psychologists and entrepreneurs about how leaders can improve their emotional fitness. She's collaborated with some of the fastest growing tech companies in the world, certainly names you would recognize, including Google, Asana, GitHub, Unilever, and Bloomberg. Also, as we talk, we prepare detailed written notes for you. We also include a one-page action guide to help you put into action immediately some of the key takeaways Emily will share with us. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com 474. This podcast is made possible by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. That is the RPM Experience. This helps product VPs and leaders get their product managers and everyone else that's involved in product really to increase their performance together, working in alignment to reach those North Star objectives. And it works best for new teams or established teams that are facing a big challenge. We meet virtually for nine weeks, 75 minutes each week, and participants learn the seven essential knowledge areas. They build trust and improve their collaboration in the process. It's not like other training. It's an experience that does help you improve your performance together. To see why it's unique, please go to productmasterynow.com RPM and see if it can help you. Emily, I am delighted that we get to talk today.
1: Likewise, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining. When I came across your uh, bio and the information that your company does, I was very intrigued. And this issue of mental health in general is very important. And then how can we prepare to be better leaders is really something I think many of us in the product management world are interested in. Many people listening right now are moving into leadership roles and many are already leaders and always there's opportunities for us to be more effective and do a better job and take care of ourselves and people in the process that we serve. You have this course called Emotionally Fit Leadership for Product Managers and it addresses eight topics. And in our time together, we, we might not get through all of them, but want to talk about some of them and just see where we end up. One of them is self-awareness, which I think is a really important place to begin. And I suspect listeners already have some mental images flashing through their heads some memories of leaders that like, yeah, that person just wasn't aware of how they were viewed or how the impact they were having. Let, let's start with that one, if you would, about why is self-awareness important? What should we know about it?
1: Well, sure. I actually might rewind a little and tell you about how I got to these seven traits in the first place. What is this course? What is emotional fitness? Because I think it's a relatively new idea. Emotional fitness is an ongoing proactive approach to working on your mental health. It's the equivalent of going to the gym for your mental health instead of waiting until something's wrong and then going to the doctor. And I really wanted to understand what this looks like in practice. Like with physical fitness, we know you should eat healthy, you should sleep enough, you should exercise but we don't necessarily have a lot of clarity around what exactly you should do to build a proactive mental health practice. So a number of years ago, I went out and did a big research study where I interviewed 100 psychologists and 100 entrepreneurs. And I asked them, how would you know if you were sitting across the table from an emotionally healthy leader? Hmm. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What do they do? What do they not do? And out of this research came what I call the seven traits of emotional fitness. These are the seven things we're going to be talking about today. And these are the seven things that if you are practicing them in an ongoing way, you are building stronger emotional fitness. So like you said, the first one is self-awareness. And self-awareness is really important because it's pretty hard to change something if you don't know that it exists. So in order to improve ourselves, we first have to have some ability to see what we're good at and what needs improvement. And this looks like having a sense of what your emotions are, what your strengths and struggles are, what your biases and triggers are. And this is important because The more you know about them, the more agency you have to make change. My feeling is that leaders are setting the ethos for their entire team, often their entire company. And so the more aware they are of themselves, the better it is for everyone. I'd almost compare it to if you think about a parent who has some sense of the traumas they've been through or the difficulties they've been through and how it's shaped them, if they're aware of that, they're going to be a little less likely to pass it down to their kids and force their kids to take it on as their own struggle. Similarly, leaders who do this work to be aware of what they need to work on and aware of what they're good at, all of that, it's less likely to leak out into the team and force everyone else to be the steward of healing and, and change. So that mm-hmm. is where we start, is becoming more aware of who you are and what you're like in your relationships.
0: Okay, good. I, I appreciate you giving us kind of the background. I like that analogy to physical fitness, something that's probably more in the front of mind for a lot of people, right? And and we uh, go for walks, we do a jog, we get, get to the gym, from time to time a lot of us aren't paying as much attention to our emotional fitness. I'm curious about the timeline of this because post-COVID, this is talked about a lot more. When did you do those interviews? I'll start there.
1: I did the interviews about nine years ago. Okay. So this was definitely before mental health was having quite as much spotlight shown on it. To me, it felt clear though that it needed to happen. I grew up in Silicon Valley I've always had an interest in the psychology of the entrepreneur. And so when I was in grad school, most of the people I was seeing as patients were in the tech industry. And it felt really clear to me that there was this huge population of people who are pretty high functioning and are are not necessarily struggling with some really extreme diagnosable psychological disorder, but they still have a lot of things in their life that they wish they could change. And a lot of those people didn't think that they necessarily deserve to go to therapy or to have help with their mental health because they didn't feel like they were broken enough, which is a really big problem. This idea that something has to be wrong with you to prioritize your mental health. And so I wanted to create some language that would normalize the idea that anyone, everyone should be thinking about their mental health. And then COVID came in and I think just legitimized the idea that none of us is going to see every tough thing coming. And no matter how healthy we might be, We're all going to be in a position at some point where we need to draw on our emotional resources to get through a tough time. And so the more work you can do now on that proactively, the better of a position you'll be in when life throws you a curveball.
0: Yeah, it became much more in everyone's mind mental health issues because of COVID and challenges and changes in life and concerns. And it was a reminder for something we already need to be doing. And the the self-awareness one, uh, one of the topics um, in your training, I do want to dig into that more. Because you already teed up the, as you were working with entrepreneurs, a lot of people in the tech industry, they grow into management and leadership roles without any preparation for those roles, right? That they excel in their competencies as a tech person. And then because of that, we expect that they can be good at guiding others to do the same. And self-awareness for a leadership position may be lacking in that. So let's talk about self-awareness for a bit.
1: Sure. You've named such a classic dilemma. And I think one piece of self-awareness might be someone saying, hey, I really like being an individual contributor. I don't necessarily want to take on the task of telling other people how to do their work. That's not true for everyone. But for a lot of people, it is. And they feel that the only way that they're going to be able to keep growing in their career is to switch over to this management role. And that's not always true. Often a company will accommodate a different kind of path forward. So I think that's the first thing is knowing how do you do your best work? What do you actually want to be doing? And then the next thing is, let's say a person does want to make that move, then there's something really powerful about saying, I want to do this, but it's newer to me. And so I need to invest in understanding what it actually means to do this work, what I'm going to be naturally good at, and what I need to invest in getting better at. And There's no shame in that. I I wish more people felt okay saying, yes, I want to take this on, but what I would like in addition to this promotion is for you to fund me taking management courses or for me to uh, get a coach or a therapist or whatever it might be so that I can see into my blind spots and so that I can make sure that I am seeing things as clearly as possible. We only see the world through the lens of our own experience. And so Mm -hmm. that lens is clouded by the way we think things work, which is not always how other people think they work. So the more investment you can make in knowing yourself, the better you will do at the job and the better everyone will feel working with you.
0: Okay. Those blind spots can be tough. And I wonder if you can lend us some more tools maybe to see into them. Certainly a, a coach is helpful, but uh, maybe in the organizational setting that we have now, what can we do to help you know, get feedback on some of those blind spots in a way that might, maybe it does feel threatening, we still have to act on it, but in a way that's effective.
1: Well, you named one of them. So there are three things that I think are really helpful for increasing our self-awareness. One of them is something like therapy or coaching. It is really hard to know things by yourself that we didn't know before. There's something really powerful about another person helping you understand who you are in relation to other people. So I think that's a super powerful tool. And you don't have to wait till things are really wrong to benefit Mm -hmm. from that. I think therapy often works best when you start from more of a baseline versus a crisis mode. The next category of work on self-awareness is introspection, creating regular practices of turning inward and asking yourself tough questions. And a tool that's great for this is journaling, writing things out and looking at them written down and noticing that they might feel different written down that they did swirling around in your head. And that also, if you journal over time, you start to see patterns, you start to notice that, oh, I could have sworn that I have been feeling really frustrated for a week. But actually, a few days ago, I said I had a great day. So that's interesting. We have a selective memory. So introspection, asking yourself questions is really powerful. Meditation is another great tool for this, just sitting quietly with your thoughts and seeing what comes up. And then the third tool that's really important is asking for feedback, soliciting feedback regularly and often. A lot of people are not going to tell you what they really think about you until you ask explicitly. And then the way you respond when they do is going to teach them how much they can continue to give you that kind of feedback. So one of the exercises that I tell people do, something I call an emotional push-up, a little emotional exertion to make yourself stronger is every week or so, pick someone in your life whose feedback you value. It could be a report, a colleague, a sibling, a spouse, a friend, a boss. It could be one of your kids, anyone whose feedback you value and send them a text message That says something along the lines of, hey there, I'm working on my emotional fitness and today's task is to ask for feedback from someone whose perspective I value. So I would love for you to tell me what is one thing I'm doing well as a colleague, a friend, a boss, whatever it might be, and what is one thing that I could do 10% better? And send a text like this out to a different person every week, and you will be really surprised what comes back to you. Not only will people often be pretty honest with you about what you might think about improving, but you also might be really surprised by what you're already doing well. And self awareness is just as much about knowing what your strengths are so that you can lean toward them as it is learning what your struggles are. So, Chad, for example, I'd be curious if you would share. What is a strength you have that you didn't really know you had until someone pointed it out to you at any point in your life?
0: At any point in my life. Probably the one that is a bit more recent as an acknowledgement is I'm uh, particularly good at doing new things. So the thing that hasn't been done before is off-putting for others. And it would be for me initially too, but I'm really good at getting my hands around it and figuring out a path forward.
1: That's really cool. And once someone pointed this out to you, did it change anything to know this about yourself? Did you make any changes in your life as a result?
0: The way this came about was actually me being asked to start a youth group at our church. And that was a very scary thing because I have had teenagers and the idea of working with high schoolers was intimidating. (laughs) It's like, it's hard enough with my own kids. What am I doing with others? But when I framed it as, well, this is a new thing that we haven't had before and I can help get people together to push forward on that idea, that was helpful. And so my key takeaway for that moment was I had some idea that I was good at doing new things, but I can frame it for all kinds of situations, right? Not just maybe yeah. a new product or other things. Oh, I can frame this in, in completely different ways.
1: That's great. So that's why asking for feedback is powerful, because people start to tell you these things. My example is at some point in grad school, someone said, Emily, you're pretty good at taking complicated psychological concepts and repeating them in a way that feels a lot easier to understand. Mm. And that had never occurred to me. That was a thing that was resonating with people. And I've essentially built my entire career around this. I I wonder if no one had ever said that to me. If my life would look like it does now because I thought, right. oh, if this is working for people, maybe I'll lean into it. So self-awareness from every angle, super important.
0: Yeah. the So some really good points in there. I just want to highlight the, you be getting that feedback was so very valuable. I think that's something that we can do for others as we serve others, for whether sure. it's just as a peer or if we're a leader and it's someone that we're mentoring, it doesn't really matter what that relationship is like. We can Give them that feedback. Have you noticed you're really good at this thing? And particularly, a lot of us that are good at at something, we take it for granted. Oh, Mm, yeah, everyone's good at that, right? And taking a moment for us to give that feedback to others, I think, is very powerful.
1: I agree. And often, when you send that message of one thing I'm doing well and one thing I could be doing 10% better, often... People will also want you to answer for them, and it's an opportunity to do that. But if you are a leader, you should also be giving feedback regularly, and your positive feedback should be as detailed as your constructive feedback. Often when we give constructive feedback, we say, hey, this isn't working. Here's how I see it showing up. Here's what could be different. Here's the effect that it's having. And then with positive feedback, we just say, hey, great job. And I think it's really important with positive feedback that we say, here's what's working. Here's the effect mm-hmm. that it's having. Here's why I appreciate it. Here's how it could keep happening. That's really important. Uh, and I think it helps people feel good about also taking in the tougher feedback.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A couple of things you said that were very important to me was when you, when you get feedback, respond in a way that encourages more feedback. So, right. so sometimes it's, okay, I know this gut, punch is, coming, gut uh, punch is coming. I'm going to take this cheerfully and and honor the feedback, right? And you may have more to say that. The other thing I really liked was you defined an expectation, right? Just, I, I need feedback on what I'm doing wrong. Help me out with that. Tell me something that I could do 10% better, right? Which I think makes that feel less heavy to me if I was giving you feedback. Right. so everyone can do, something 10% better, right? This is easy, Alina, and providing those guidelines. Yes, so that's exactly the point feedback. of that. Yeah, so I think that's a For very sure. good thing. sure,
1: and to your earlier point, It's not easy to hear constructive feedback. And what I recommend people do as they're hearing it is firstly, not feel like they have to respond right away. We tend to get defensive and we want to set the record straight and actually just sitting and letting a person completely share things, even if we don't agree with it and really taking some time to think about it and saying, I I want to mull this over before I respond. Can we meet again in an hour or next week or whatever it might be? And giving yourself some space between your initial knee jerk reaction to what you're hearing and your response is a really powerful thing because our first reaction to hearing something tough is always going to be coming from a protective place. That's how we're built. And when we give ourselves some space, a more wise and helpful part of us can emerge to think about what we've heard and to think about how we want to respond.
0: Right. And not respond in the moment. Okay. Really good. Okay. So uh, self-awareness and an element of that is getting feedback to help us recognize those blind spots, and also Uh coaching useful, introspection, self-reflection. Important for product managers, and especially those in leadership, but just interacting with others. Empathy is something we also talk about in product management a lot, because we want to empathize with our customers and, in some sense, walk in their shoes so that we can develop better products that solve their problem. But it shows up also in our interactions with each other as well. And I'm sure there's some things we can learn about empathy from the work that you do.
1: For sure. So if self-awareness is understanding and managing your own emotions, empathy is being able to understand other people's emotions. And the big misconception around empathy is, I don't think people realize that empathy has a feelings component. If you intellectually understand what someone is feeling, but you are not feeling it at all, that is not empathy. That's sympathy. Mm -hmm. Empathy means actually allowing yourself to feel what someone else is feeling so that you can understand it. And a lot of us are resistant to this because we don't necessarily want to feel what everyone else is feeling. And some of us also believe that if we really feel what someone else is feeling, that we then become responsible for that feeling, that it is now our job to fix it or do something about it. And the biggest lesson I want to put out there about empathy is that empathy and boundaries are not mutually exclusive. They are actually deeply reliant on each other. To be a person who can deeply empathize with other people, you also have to have really strong boundaries because if we are endlessly empathetic, it runs out really quickly and we're not going to be effective. But if we can have strong boundaries alongside our empathy, then we can do a lot of understanding what someone else might be feeling. Empathy is complicated because it's going to be pretty tough to empathize with anything that you're not comfortable feeling yourself. So for example, if you're a person who really is uncomfortable with feeling angry well, There are a lot of people out there like this or I just I don't I don't like anger. I don't really let myself get close to anger If someone else is feeling angry It's going to be hard to empathize with that because mm-hmm. it would require you to feel something you don't really like to feel But so that's why self-awareness comes first is first you need to understand What your emotions are and get comfortable with your emotions and then you're going to really be able to meet other people in theirs
0: Okay Let's talk about boundaries a little bit in that. Maybe an example would help us of boundaries that might enable us to be more, to show more empathy, to be empathetic.
1: Sure. So I'll start with myself as an example. So I'm a therapist. There are all kind of boundaries that are built into the work of therapy because my job is literally empathizing in all kinds of ways. So a therapy hour starts on time and it ends on time. It's in the same place every time. I'm not going to have a patient who is also a friend of mine or who is really involved in any other part of my life. And the reason why we hold these boundaries so tight is that by doing that, I can go really deep with someone within that space and time. If I thought that I might be sitting with someone for two hours or three hours or something like that, I'd have to really modulate how deep I could go with them. But because I know exactly what I am willing to do in that moment, a much deeper work is possible. So similarly, let's say you are a product manager and you're leading someone and they're going through a really tough time at home Mm -hmm. and you can tell that it's affecting their work. Empathy means letting yourself for a second really dip into what they might be going through. Really letting yourself feel what it's like to be going through a tough thing at home and also trying to show up at work. And if you can really let yourself feel that you're going to be able to show up for them in a different way. However, what some people do once they are in that space is they now think, oh, well, now your problem is my problem. I somehow need to help you figure out what to do about everything going on at home, and I need to accommodate you. And even though there's this really important deadline, I guess I just can't give you any consequences because now I know how tough your life is. That's not actually the case, and that's not good boundaries. Good boundaries means saying, okay, I can listen to what's going on with you in this time, and I can refer you to resources to make sure that you have the support that you need. But I still have to hold you to the standards that are required for this job. And all of those things can happen at the same time. And if you know that, if you trust that, then you're going to be able to be a more empathetic leader when those tough things are happening. Right? Does that example land?
0: It, it does. It's very helpful. The perhaps somewhat unrelated example to uh, listeners, but go with me for a moment on this. So my uh, son just started college this year as a freshman. And <clears throat> we, uh, during orientation from some other parents that were had alumni children there in the past shared, your student is going to be going through lots of ch- changes during this first term and getting used to college and all that. They're going to run into lots of problems. You should not try to solve the problems. You should be there to help encourage, understand what the problem is with them and encourage them to come up with solutions, but you're not there to solve the problems for them. And that kind of related to me, that's what popped in my head as you were talking about that, is that we're not trying to make the problem, we're hearing our problem. We do want to listen, and that's empowering all by itself, right? Just listening, you're aware of the problem, what's going on, and also make clear you have responsibilities you have to get done. My son, as a student, regardless of the problems you're facing, you have to get to class. You, you need to do the homework, right? There, there's the basics in place still. So I liked what you shared.
1: Oh, thank you. And I can share a tool that I think can help with empathy. So there's a very proven psychological idea that we're going to be better able to empathize with things we understand, right? Because mm-hmm. if it's all about letting ourselves feel what someone else is feeling, if we don't understand— That feeling, it's going to be harder to empathize with it. And a good example to illustrate this is if anyone in your life has ever been really frustrating or annoying to you, their behavior has just really rubbed you the wrong way and you're just, ugh, you're so annoyed with them. And then all of a sudden you get more information. You find out, oh, they just lost a parent this week or they're going through something really tough. All of a sudden you're going to soften a little bit. You're going to empathize. All of a sudden their behavior might feel a little less personal, less frustrating because Mm -hmm. you understand it. So a tool that I recommend that's been so powerful at COA is something that we call an emotional fitness survey. And what we do is anytime someone new starts to work with us at COA, we send them this survey of questions that lets them tell us what they need in order to to do their best work. So there's questions like, do you like to be praised in public or in private? What time of day do you do your best thinking? How do you like to be supported during a tough time? How would I know if you were stressed or overwhelmed? How do you like to have your birthday celebrated? All kinds of questions we have on this survey. And what's powerful about it is everyone at the company gets everyone's answers, and we make sure they know that before they fill it out. And it tends to be information that you don't really know you're going to need until you need it. So, for example, someone on our team a little while back lost someone in their family And we went and looked at her emotional fitness survey answers and it said, when I'm going through a tough time, I really like to be given a little bit of space and then check on me. So we left her alone for a little bit. And then we reached out to her and let her know that we were thinking about her. And that would have been a really hard thing for her to tell us in that moment. Luckily, she told it to us in advance. And so we were able to really empathize with what she was going through and what she needed from us. So I highly recommend send an emotional fitness survey to everyone on your team. And you as a leader should fill it out as well. Make sure people know what you need to do your best work. And you will see it, it. It will come in handy much more often than you might think.
0: I I like that. So, And if people want to look into that tool, I assume this is on your website to find out more information?
1: Sure. The seven traits stuff is all over the place, and these tools are, yeah, search emotional fitness survey. You'll find some example questions. Okay.
0: Very good. Co-op. Okay. There are leaders I haven't had experience with one specifically, but I have heard of leaders who basically have their emotional fitness survey of themselves that they give to the people that are not working for them. Right. It's like a handbook. Exactly, right? It's yeah. a handbook of, here's a, b- basically a, a information about me and interacting with me, and just so that you're not starting from scratch, having to figure this out over the next several interactions. And I like that idea of having a tool that is just trans- transparently says to everyone, here's some things that might be helpful as we interact.
1: 100%. It really does help out more often than you might think. And we try to make sure that all answers are editable over time, because <laughs> what you need one year could things be completely change. different than what you need the next.
0: Absolutely. Okay, we've only scratched the surface here. We've talked about why mental health and emotional fitness is important, and we should it it should, I, it should be up there with physical fitness, right? That it's part of who sure. we are and needs our attention, and we should be taking action on that. Some really good tools for self awareness, coaching, introspection, getting feedback from others, and then empathy, being able to feel the emotions of others without that impacting yourself in some way, right? Having those boundaries around that, and then being able to help people point. To resources while still holding them accountable for what needs to get done. Really good tips, I think, especially for some people in leadership now or thinking about moving that way. Many more uh, resources available, and we'll get to those in a moment. I also always like to ask guests for an innovation quote and ask you to bring us one, and if you could share what that means to you as well.
1: Sure. So my favorite quote, I don't know if I would call this an innovation quote. It feels like it to me. Mm -hmm. It's by Anais Nin, and she said, we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. And that is my favorite quote specifically for self-awareness, which is that I don't think people have a real understanding of just how much they are creating their reality. I think a lot of people think that life is happening to them, that they're just walking around and dealing with everything being thrown at them and there's nothing they can really do about it. And one of the biggest lessons I learned from therapy both from my own therapy and from being a therapist, is that we're actually making all kinds of tiny, unconscious decisions every day that are leading us toward things. And that as you come to understand that, as you clean off that lens that you're seeing the world through, you gain a ton of agency in your life. We, I we have all kinds of people say, oh, I keep getting into this same type of relationship. How do these people keep finding me? Well, I don't know if it's just that they're finding you. I think that there's something about this type of relationship that you are pulling for without realizing it or maybe even meaning to. And as you become aware of that, you can decide if you, keep wanting to, if you want to keep doing that or not. So to me, this realization that you are seeing the world in a perspective that is not shared by everyone else and that as you can understand that your life will change. It's one of the most powerful things I think I've integrated into my own life.
0: Fantastic. Thanks for sharing the quote with us. Yeah. Um, as product people, we also need to see things the real way. And the product management analogy is we often hear things from customers we might interview. And if we observe them instead, do some ethnographic research, we learn a lot more, right? We, we maybe see things differently than they're just being presented. And also really good for us as individuals growing as well, obviously. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. How can people find out more about COA, about the work that you're doing?
1: Absolutely. So head to joincoa, J-O-I-N-C-O-A dot com to learn all about our gym for mental health. You can find me on all the socials at dr emily anhalt D-R-E-M-I-L-Y-A-N like November, H-A-L-T. And you can find me on my website at dremilyanhalt.com. And really just start anywhere is my big advice for emotional fitness. Just do an emotional push up every day of some kind. You will get stronger over time and you will notice the difference in your life.
0: Fantastic. I do love the positioning of your work as the gym for uh, mental fitness. I think that the gym for mental health, I think that works really well. Thank you for the resources. We'll make sure those links are in the show notes as well. And just a uh, delight to talk to you about mental fitness and health and the importance that has for us as product people as well and how we can move into leadership better prepared if we pay attention to some of these topics.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And listeners, if you do want to find the written summary of what we discussed, including the one-page action guide to help you put into action some of the key takeaways that Dr. Ann Holt shared with us, go to productmasterynow.com slash 474. Keep innovating.
1: Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com.
0: Keep innovating.